0: And so the thing that had been kind of cute and quaint and nice before, she now hated. And we have that in us. Some of you are just kind of looking at people that you might want to date, and you're thinking, oh, opposites attract, and this is kind of a cool thing, and I like this dynamic, and this is going to be great. You might hate it one day. It could be really difficult. And so you just need to understand that that's how it works. We are attracted to things that are different from us. But if we're not careful, those things can be the things that destroy and hurt and damage our relationships. So what do you do when you find yourself in a situation, in a season of life, and you're saying to yourself, I don't think I can handle this thing anymore. I don't think I can take this anymore. I don't think I can, I can endure this anymore. I don't feel loved by you anymore. Or maybe I just believe that my ways of doing things are far superior to your ways of doing things. And this is, we're just driving both of, we're just driving each other nuts. Or maybe you say, this isn't the life I feel like I deserve anymore. I titled this message, How to Get a Divorce. And I hope that you realize I'm not going to give you tips on escaping your marriage. I'm not going to give you a plan on how to navigate a cost-effective kind of expedient divorce. That's not what this is about. This is about this one idea that we're going to talk about today is the difference between a marriage that's really, really recurringly frustrating and a marriage that flourishes. It's the difference between a marriage that's painful and a marriage that thrives. And even, even if you're here... And you're one of the few that are thinking, I'm not even sure I'm going to get married. Because most of you either are married or you will be married, and so you know that this is relevant. But even if you're here, and you're thinking, I'm not sure that marriage is for me. Maybe I had such a bad example growing up, or I had these bad experiences, or I'm a free spirit, or whatever it is, and I'm not sure I'm going to get married. Even you will benefit from this truth because it applies to all close, committed relationships. This truth will help all of your Relationships. So to get into it, we're going to start with one of the most famous verses, passages in all of scripture written by the Apostle Paul to a church kind of like ours. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have to the poor, and give over my body to hardship and sacrifice, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, you can be a religious powerhouse and say and do all the right things and lead all kinds of people and write a book and do all whatever and if it's not motivated by love you're missing the point paul would say it's essentially worthless and now paul launches in next to a description of this love which is important because in our culture, most people think that they know what love is. But Paul says, love is as love does. He says, this right here is love actually. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We'll pause there for a second and look at some of those words. When he uses the word patient, he's using the Greek word macrothermia. Macro meaning big picture, big story, or spread out. Thermia, a word that we use for thermos or thermal, which relates to heat. Right. So he's saying that Love is patient is about spreading out heat, spreading out passion. A good friend of mine was just telling me this week that that he has found that there is a law of diminishing returns when it comes to passion. The passion is really exciting and motivating up to a certain point, but if he goes too far with his passion, he ends up turning people off especially people at work, when he's so convinced, this is the right way to do this. This is where we need to go. This is how fast we gotta get there. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. He gets to a point where people stop hearing him and stop listening because they don't feel like they measure up, that they're not going fast enough, that they don't share his same passion and so he looks at them differently. There is a diminishing return even to passion. And so love is patience says that you will spread out the intensity So that someone else can walk and be in their journey and be on their path. Love is patient. Love is kind. You could substitute the word kind for a people developer. That you are someone who recognizes in kindness, recognizes the benefits, the qualities, the good, the skills in another person and draws them out. So in your kindness, you say, you are good at this. I see this in you and in so doing, you draw out more of the same. Love is patient. Love is kind. We'll put the next three together. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. In other words, love doesn't compare. It doesn't compete. And it doesn't criticize. It gives space for the uniqueness of other people and lets them be who they are. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not an envious person. I'm not a jealous person. But the simple question for you would be, can you celebrate when someone else close to you is promoted? Can you celebrate when someone else close to you is recognized and you aren't? Can you celebrate other people's successes? Because love does not envy, and it does not boast, and it is not proud. It also does not dishonor, so it doesn't tear other people down. It is not self seeking, it's not only thinking about itself, but it's thinking about other people. It is not easily angered, so it's not punitive and looking to punish and jump on situations. It's not, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Some of you maybe missed your calling as history teachers because you remember the past and you will bring it up in any circumstance and this person can never forget what they have done. Well, you, but but this and this and this and this and you keep on bringing it into the present moment. Love keeps no record. Of wrongs. Now, hopefully you're saying, hey, that's all great, and I believe that, and that's good, and I should try to align my life a little bit more like that. Even people outside of this room would say, those things are true, and they are better than the opposite things, and I would want those things. Yes, we agree. Then Paul goes even further, and in this next verse, he takes the whole idea of loving to a whole nother level. I'm calling this love impossible. Verse 7, he says, love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. The next phrase says, love never fails. Now, I've done a lot of weddings, and at almost all of them, the couples want this passage and somehow kind of woven into the ceremony. And when I read it, I have to confess that I feel like this passage sets a standard for love that 's here, and that my experience of love and even my capacity to deliver seems way down here that this that this seems like an always kind of love that god talk, that God talks about, and I feel like a sometimes kind of person, and there 's a gap between god 's standard and how I live and how, what I seem to be able to do and what I seem to experience. And some of you feel that gap. And some of you are sitting here feeling the gap that's saying, "How can I be expected to always behave that way? To always love to always to always persevere?" And you know that I'm going to get trampled on. You know that I'm going to be taken for granted. I know that I'm going to be hurt in the process. I know that I'm going to be let down by this person repeatedly. How do you expect me to, to be an always kind of love when this person is not perfect and they are whatever and I'm going to have these, all these kinds of bad experiences in this world? Two quick things to say to that. One, the rest of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, if you look at it, Paul is talking about how our love, we just see a glimpse of the wholeness of love in this time and place. That when Jesus comes back, when he turns the page on this chapter of the story, we're going to see love in its fullness. And things will be restored and things will make sense and we will see God for who he is and we will experience the love that he intended. That's not the case in this moment. And you will get hurt. And there will be pain. But we can pray, God, help me to know your love. Help me to experience your real love and help me somehow miraculously to have the capacity to offer this kind of love. The second thing we can do is you can set boundaries. You can set boundaries and we should set boundaries. You should set boundaries with people for your safety and for your health. And you set boundaries even in marriage. I remember when Hillary and I were were first married, Uh, We had come from different families, obviously, and our different families uh, fought in different ways and argued in different ways. My family kind of avoided conflict and sometimes would shut down if things got rough or overly emotional. Her family dragged stuff out into the light and just like went at it. And and there was yelling and, you know, we're going to get to this. We're going to take care of this. And so when we were early in our marriage and we had conflict, she went after it and I withdrew and I was like, I can't, I don't, don't, ah, don't say, ah. and I didn't, I was, it was crazy. And so we had to establish boundaries. She had to have a boundary with me that I couldn't just completely shut down, that I couldn't withdraw and ignore and pretend like it was her issue, that I had to like enter into the thing and have the conversation and be accountable and be committed to this res- resolution. I had to create a boundary that said, if you, if you go, here's the line, and if you go over the line and you're too fired up and too intense or say you know, a couple of words in particular, I might have to like, pull away in the moment and just say, okay, Hillary, I hear you and I want to I resolve this, but I'm going to leave the room right now until you cool off because I can't communicate like this. And so we created a boundary and we, kinda, we met in the middle on that. Boundaries are necessary in our relationships, but here's the thing. Boundaries should always promote love, not withhold it. Some of you are justifying boundaries, but it's really just a stiff arm, keeping people at arm's length. Our boundaries are for our health and the promotion of love so that we can get to a better place together, not keeping people at arm's length. That's not the point of boundaries. Marcus Buckingham. He's done research. He's a famous kind of corporate consultant guy and he's written some books. You've probably heard of the strengths finder and kind of knowing your strengths. Many of you have probably kind of taken the test. You figured figured out what your five strengths are. And Marcus Buckingham did, has done research on that kind of a thing in the corporate arena for a long time. But he wanted to test if his philosophies on how these kind of dynamics in corporate America and on teams and stuff, how they measured up in a marriage. Because marriage is when relationships are the most tense, the most committed, whatever. So he had people do a study for 10 years on marriages. And he, they studied these couples over the course of 10 years, and what they with their hypothesis was that he re- recognized that all of us, when we come into any relationship, we have certain expectations going into the relationship. That we expect that f- certain things will be a certain way. And it's based on our past experiences, it's based on our family of origin, it's based on how we're wired and, and everything else like that. So we can't help. Some of you don't even know the expectations that you have until you realize that they're not met, right? We can't help but not have expectations. And then Buckingham also discovered that all of us experience our expectations being here, and yet reality is somewhere way over here. That the reality of someone's behavior does not meet our expectations, and so there's a gap. There's a gap between our standard and what we think we deserve or should be the case, and the reality that is true for the other person and how it actually plays out. So in his research, Buckingham assumed with his researchers that what they would find is that the marriages, the couples, that stood the test of time, that endured beyond this 10 years, that had what they considered to be happy and thriving relationships, that this gap for them would be small. And that the gap between the couple's that didn't make it, that broke off, that got divorced, or that were just enduring through pain and weren't enjoying their marriages, that that gap would be extensive. Makes sense, right? But as they did this research with a number of couples over a 10-year period of time, they found that that wasn't the case. That in marriages that lasted, marriages that thrived, marriages that made it, marriages that were happy and fulfilling, the gap was the same. The difference was what the couples chose to put in the gap. The couples that had a, a thriving, happy marriage chose to believe the best in the other person. that they stood in the gap, and that they chose. To believe the best. That regardless of how it was playing out, regardless of how they felt in the moment, they refused to assume the worst in the other person. Instead of looking through a lens that was like, oh, well, you always in this, and I expect this, and, and you're probably gonna do that, and it's gonna keep happening, and instead of assuming the worst and looking through that lens, they chose to believe the best in the other person, realizing that there will always be a gap, that you can't fix the other person and coerce them to behave in a different way. It just doesn't work that way. So what do you do with the gap? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? A simple example is uh, my wife grew up in a family where her dad could fix anything and he literally built his house from the ground up. I struggle with Ikea projects, (laughs) simple Ikea projects and so there was a huge disconnect from what Hillary expected coming into our marriage and what she got (laughs) and what she gets and she could be really upset about that because for her, that was the way that her dad loved the family. She saw dad build, and she saw dad construct and fix, and anything that mom needed, he just took care of it. She just put it on a list, and he hammered it out. Me, I mean, it could be weeks before a light bulb is changed. I mean, I encounter, I've encountered some doozies. It's not, it's like, It's not even like, it's not just a screw in, screw out situation. There's like a complex mechanism that has to be like figured out before I can even do the twisty thing. And that might take me a little while. It doesn't come as naturally to me. And so she chooses in that moment, is she going to believe the best? Or is she going to assume the worst? Most of the time, Hillary believes the best. But what what could she do? How could she crush me? She could say things like, I don't feel like you love me anymore. Because my dad did this. And you refuse to. Or it just takes you way too long. And so I don't feel loved. Or it's just because you're lazy. You could figure it's not rocket science, granted. It's not rocket science. But how come you can't just do this better, faster? She could say, you're not a real man, because my experience is with real men, they can build stuff, fix stuff, whatever. If she wanted to assume the worst about my care for her, about my commitment to her, about my capacity as a man, she could do that, and she could drive us both crazy. Most of the time, she believes the best. Most of the time, she's patient with me, and There's been IKEA projects that have taken several days. Most of the time, she's kind and she builds me up in the things that I am good at and says, you know, my dad was really good at that, but you're so great at all these other things, much more things over here, obviously, that are just so great and I appreciate about you. It's okay that you can't do this as well. It's okay that the thing is still leaning She doesn't dishonor me for my weaknesses. She doesn't keep record of all my project failures. Or say things like, you always slack off in this way, or you never take the initiative on these kind of projects. Those absolutes just don't help anything. Happy marriages are when the spouse has an even better view of the other person than is real. It's literally looking through rose-colored glasses, like you do when you first meet, like you do when you're dating. The trick is to keep doing that. The reality is that love is a little bit blind that you create a positive illusion, that you believe the best in this person and it's even better than they actually are. You find the most generous explanation for the other person's behaviors and their deficiencies. But most people want to spend all kinds of time trying to change the person and fix them. and It just doesn't work that way. What's interesting is Uh, Jairus said to me this week, he said something, he said, the players play the hardest when the band plays the loudest. We all want to be believed in and cheered for. I remember when I was playing volleyball at USC, our team was underachieving. We should have been better than we were. And we would get scolded sometimes by our coach. And after practice, he would send us out of the gym and send us down to the track and make us run around this track sometimes five miles after a three-hour practice. But the cool thing about that was that the USC marching band practiced on that same track. They played and rehearsed in the middle of the track. And with the famous guy with his mustache who stands on the ladder and does his thing, and we would get on that track, and we would run around that track, and every time our pathetic little team would get around the corner, where they were facing and focused. They would stop whatever music they were playing and rehearsing, and they would play the fight song just for us. (laughs) And we would sprint around that corner like champions. (laughs) There's something about being believed in. There's something about having the band play for you. No one wants to be criticized. No one wants to feel like you assume the worst. No one really wants to disappoint you. They're not trying to. They want to know that you believe in them. They want to experience your love that maybe is just flat out irrational in believing the best in you. Maybe it's an almost intentionally ignorant belief in what's in you, in who you are, Maybe you say, just practically speaking, about your friend or your coworker or your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, maybe you say, he's not insensitive. He's just focused. Maybe you say, she's not impatient. She's just passionate. He's not a cheapskate, he's just a good steward. She's not notoriously late. She's just present with the people that she's with in the moment. And I recognize that some of you want to throw up in your mouth right now. (sighs) Because you are the truth tellers. And you're like, there's a Bible verse that says grace and truth. I'm a truth teller. I will tell you like it is. None of this, you know, patsy, you know, mumbo jumbo stuff. How's that going for you? Is your spouse just skipping around the house, happy to be alive and married to you? (laughs) The hard thing about being the self-proclaimed truth teller is that the ones that I have met have a difficult time turning the spotlight on themselves. Because all of us have a gap. We don't even live up to our own expectations, let alone God's perfect standard or some standard that we're holding other people to. How much agony could you spare yourself if you stopped assuming the worst? If you stopped looking at every comment, wondering what's behind it? Oh, I know her. When she says that, she means this. Oh, he's doing this again. It's just to get at me. Really? Is that how you want to live? When you can choose to believe the best, because the gap will never change. It's going to be there. The question is what do you put in the gap? Some of us are winning a lot of arguments and losing our marriage. You can choose to be right, or you can choose to be in relationship. There's a great couple in our church. They were here with us, sitting right here in the first service, and they were generous enough to let us record a little glimpse of their amazing story. This is a relationship that almost didn't make it. I just wanted you to get a glimpse of it right now.
1: So, I started marriage with this fantasy fairy tale idea from all the movies, and I think I came down from that wedding high pretty quickly.
2: I
3: also recognized that we did have issues and that we weren't where we wanted to be, but you know, I, I kind of took what was natural to me, which was to look to books and look to sort of all the relationship guides and advice that I could get, and I thought that if I could wrap my mind around it, that that would fix everything, but it didn't.
1: I think that's what led us to go to Mariners Good Friday service.
3: I, mean, I remember crying, and you know, I was you never cry. unusual for me. <laughs> for me, that was a big breakthrough because that was sort of the first time I started thinking, like, you know, maybe God needs to be part of my life in a way that He hadn't been before. But it, you know, it, it didn't fix everything all of a sudden. It wasn't like I started going to church and I said, oh, this is great. All the problems in our marriage disappeared.
1: I was just, I was done. I was cold and hardened and moved out and I was done.
3: So you told me two different times that you had, you were done with the marriage, you wanted a divorce. And I think both times I was sort of in shock because we had never thought divorce was an option. And after you moved out I was unable to focus or really do anything and it was particularly difficult because I was about to take the bar exam
1: I knew that going to church had become a big part of your life, I knew that was sort of the way I could get you to take the bar so our contract was four church services and two dinners together at the end of one of the sermons when we had the chance to go light the candle of hope. um, I just remember feeling hope and, you know, we had that moment at the front of the church together just holding each other and crying.
3: We were just in that church at that moment because God said, like, you're going to be here and this is what you're going to do.
1: I secretly started preparing the apartment just getting ready for you to come back home.
3: You just asked will you move back in with me and I, of course, hugged you as a,
1: as yes. <laughs> <laughs> so our marriage is completely different now than it ever has been before. Just It feels like I'm married to a completely different man.
3: And it feels like I'm in a completely different marriage. God changed not only our marriage, but who we are. Similar mm-hmm. issues come up, but I've found that we deal with them completely differently. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not giving
0: up. It's an amazing story of a wonderful couple in our church, but I also know that it hits a little bit too close to home with some of you. I know that some of you are sitting here thinking, but you don't know the pain that I've experienced, you don't know how this has gone. Some of you are already divorced. Some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you think you're going to initiate that process just because you can't take it anymore. I give you this message as someone who has been through a divorce. Someone who has seen a marriage fail in my 20s. I understand. I understand that in this world we did not experience the love that we hope for, that we see that we want but I also know that it can start with you you have access to this love of God you can fill the gap you can choose you can be different and why not you have a God that's already filled the gap for you. That his perfect standard and his design for you is way out there somewhere compared to your actual behavior. And yet he sent his son and died to wipe that slate clean and bring you together with him. Romans 5:8 says, "But God demonstrated His own love for you, that while you are still a sinner, far from Him, back toward him, He died it for you, suffering in a way that you will never suffer, sacrificing in a way that you cannot even sacrifice." He fills the gap. The love your God is patient. The love of your God is kind. The love of your God does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor you. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. And it has kept no record of your wrongs. God's love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God's love for you always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God's love never fails.
1: stand together as we respond.
2: yes he loves
0: It's just a simple thing. You just, you just say, God, I want that to be true. That whole sacrifice for me, dying for me while I was still a sinner, I want that to be true of me. I want a relationship with you. You can do that at any moment. You can do that at this moment. You can do that with uh, our prayer team out to my left afterwards. We'll love to join you on that journey. There are others of you whose some relationships, it's like 911 mode, and I would invite you to take an action today to pray with someone out here, uh, to take another step in some way. For, For all of us, I would invite you to ask yourself this week, when it comes to the gap in your relationships, what are you filling it with? Are you someone who believes the best? Do you look through that lens? Are you willing to start? Are you willing to let God fill you with that, with his love, that capacity to do so? And then remember, real practically, ballroom dancing, that's happening on the patio. And you can sign up and be a part of the eight-week thing. It'll be fun. Fight night, tips on communicating, whether you're dating or married or gonna be dating or married, that'll be good, that'll be good stuff too. We also have a marriage ministry now with marriage mentors. If you're in a tough, spat, tough patch in your marriage or you're a younger married couple and want mentors that are out ahead of you, we have that now too. So you can sign up for that on the patio. Let me just pray for you as you go. God, I pray over your people that you would allow us to know and experience your incredibly generous love for us, and that we would be able to pass that on, God, that we would believe the best in those we care about going forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.